Amen, amen, amen. Well, as you're seated, go ahead and take a look to your left, take a look to your right. If you've seen somebody wearing maroon with the Texas A&M logo, go ahead and congratulate them this morning. Yeah. We are few, but we are many and mighty. Uh, well, good morning to everybody here at the Grove. And for those of you who have just kind of fractured our potential relationship, I'm sorry about that. It's not often that I wear maroon, but today I do proudly. Uh, we're glad you're here today. We are in the middle of a sermon series all throughout the book of Acts. And the story in the book of Acts is really just a, kind of a telling of the early church. What happened and the, the actions, the movements, the conversations, the ways that the early followers of Jesus begin to create this thing that we now call the Christian religion. And one of the things that we've been talking about through this series is not uh, that this book and this sermon series is, is being shared for the value of history itself, but it's to remind us that what started then is still happening now. We are inheritors of this lineage, of this story. We get to step into the story as well. And so it's important for us to recognize what our role is, what the original point of this story was, and ways that we can continue to carry it out in our everyday life. And so uh, one of the things that I think is important as we kind of set up this morning's talk is to kind of think about this idea of the choices that are presented to us. Uh, the idea that there are two choices oftentimes that we can kind of navigate, these ways that we can uh, be presented with a series of uh, opportunities that we either take or we don't take, ways that we see doors open that we either step through or we ignore. I think if you kind of look back in retrospect throughout the course of your life, your life is a series of moments that either did or didn't happen a certain way. Uh, there's a kind of a famous movie called Sliding Doors, and the whole kind of uh, point and focus and plot of this story is uh, the, kind of the two versions of what happens when this particular character either catches the subway train or doesn't catch the subway train. And the doors, these sliding doors, close either with her on the train or with her outside the train. And for me, I think that's a pretty fitting metaphor for so many of the things in our life. And one of the things that I think is powerful about this idea about the choices that we do or don't make and the opportunities that present themselves to us is so often, at least thus far in the book of Acts, as we have looked at these stories and we have looked at the accounts and the actions and all of the doings of all of the people that we've read about thus far, they're all really big they're all really impressive. These grand speeches, these huge movements of the Holy Spirit, all of these incredible things that happen, but that I think, I fear at times, feel really inaccessible to us today. That God doesn't work in these big ways anymore. That we're not capable of these grand gestures in the same way that they were back in the story. And so if we're trying to figure out how we carry out what started long ago, we see this pattern, this model that it feels a little difficult to replicate in our own lives. It feels a little too, too hard, a little too distant, a little too inaccessible. But the story I want to look at today stands in contrast to kind of this pattern of these big, grand things happening. It's, it's much smaller, it's much more subtle, and I think for us reflects better the way that 
The Holy Spirit is at work in the world and in our worlds. These little whispers, these little opportunities to start a conversation, to send that text, to invite that person that we often kind of minimize and underestimate the potential impact that these have in people's lives. And so we're going to be in the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. If you've got your phones, you can pull those out. If you've got your scripture journals, you can open those. If you have a Bible, you get extra brownie points. And if not, for everybody else, we'll show it on the screen this morning. Okay, so this is a story about a character named Philip. And Philip was uh, kind of the next batch of leaders in the early church. So you kind of have the 12, according to Luke, the term that he gives the original 12 disciples of Jesus, he calls them apostles. And then there's this next group of seven that get elected to kind of carry out some of the mission. One of those we talked about last Sunday, his name was Stephen. Philip is in that group with Stephen of seven that were chosen to kind of spread the, miss- the mission and the message uh, of Jesus kind of to the areas outside of Jerusalem and ultimately to the ends of the earth. And so Philip, uh, what we see happen is all of a sudden Philip's engaging in this mission. He's kind of spreading the good news. He's doing good things. He's distributing food and charity to those who are in need. And then he kind of is prompted by, in this case, an angel, a messenger of the Lord. And what we see happen is this prompting inspires Philip to go and to do something that didn't make a whole lot of sense. And so verse 26, this is what we see. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get up and go. And there was a particular direction that the angel prompts Philip to get up and go. I think one of the things that uh, I have seen to be true about the way that God works in our lives and in our world is that there's oftentimes a call to get up and go somewhere, to take on a new endeavor, to start a new organization to reach out to a new group of people, to repair some fractured relationship. There is this movement, there's this energy that I think continues uh, the work and the mission of God in the world. And this is what we see true for Philip. It says, so get up and go towards the south, down from Jerusalem, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then there's kind of like this little uh, editorial note from the author. This is a wilderness road. Now, what that meant at the time was this was kind of this unkempt kind of area, desert, mountains. There wasn't a lot of uh, civilization, not a lot of infrastructure in this journey from Jerusalem down to Gaza. Now, the other thing that the readers back then would have known is that about 100 years before, the city of Gaza was destroyed. And so this angel prompts Philip to go to a desolate area, an area that doesn't seem to have any life. There doesn't seem to be any reason or rationale around around why Philip should go down this way, kind of in this kind of odd, strange direction to this place, to this kind of destroyed city. One of the other things about these wilderness-type roads was those were the most dangerous places that people could venture Without a lot of civilization, you know, without a lot of infrastructure, it was the kind of the, our modern day equivalent of like a dark, deserted alley. You kind of avoid those places because we assume that that's where all the bad things happen. That's where kind of the bandits and the robbers and the wild animals, that's where they would have gotten you, is on these wilderness roads. 
So this wasn't any kind of small request that the angel makes to Philip. And I think for many of us, uh, the way that God works in our lives is to tell us to go, to get up and go to places that don't always seem to make a lot of sense. It, it's peculiar, it's strange. We question it, You're like, God, are you sure you have that right? If maybe you feel some inclination inside or some prompting or some urging, like, God, I've never really thought about adoption before, but now you're putting this idea in my mind, like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, our family's complete. We're, you know, kids are out of the house. Why would we double back now? We're almost, you know, it's done. College is paid. Why, God, now? There are these ways that God seems to work in our life that don't always seem to make a lot of sense. God is calling us into a place that seems counter to like what seems logical or reasonable or rational. This is what happens to Philip. But the important point is that he gets up and goes. So in the next verse, it says, So he got up and went. And then he comes across an Ethiopian eunuch, court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. So like Madonna and Beyonce, Candace is like an official title. It's like a proper noun. It's not just her name is Candace, but she is the Candace. And so she is kind of the queen of the Ethiopians, which uh, kind of in that first century geography was the furthest ends of the world. It was down to the south, and it was truly understood as like the edge of the world. If you're kind of one of those flat earthers, that would have been right before the point where the world drops off. And so she's the queen of all of the Ethiopians. She's in charge of this, this whole nation, this whole empire. And this Ethiopian eunuch is a high-ranking official over all of her treasury. Now, one of the things, just to explain a little bit, the reason that it's important to note that they were a eunuch is eunuchs were, only, they were the only men who were allowed to be in close proximity to the female leaders at the time. Uh, if you can make the connection as to why that would be the case then that's why it's important that the scripture notes that it's an Ethiopian eunuch. But that's a, to be a high-ranking official with the queen leader. That's how you had to do it, apparently. So, moving on. It's that he had come to Jerusalem to worship this Ethiopian official and was returning home, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. I think that in contrast to the large movements of the Holy Spirit, like we saw in Acts chapter 2, in the upper room, the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes flooding in, you know, with tongues of fire, I think today this is probably the way that the Holy Spirit uh, moves most, is in these small whispers in our life. Maybe some of us call it coincidence. Some of us call it intuition, a gut feel. I think those are all names for the way that the Holy Spirit is at work in our life. And I think it's important that we look at this story to bring a little bit more dignity, a little bit more importance to these small, subtle nudges, promptings, whisperings of the Holy Spirit in our own life. Because it's easy to dismiss. It's easy to kind of ignore, to shoo away. It's like, oh, I had this crazy thought. Let me move on from that. But what I think is so powerful about this story, and as we'll see, is probably like this story in many of our lives. Our lives have been forever impacted, or we have forever impacted someone else's life. 
because we listened to a whisper, because we obeyed that prompting, that intuition, that sense, that gut kind of speaking to us, and we acted on it. We did something about it, and because of that, it created this whole new opportunity for life change. This is, I think, one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. And so this is what we see happening in this story. The Spirit says to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip was obedient, and he runs up to it. And he heard this Ethiopian official reading the prophet Isaiah. And so he just asked him a question. Oftentimes I think that in our attempt to spread our faith, to share our faith, uh, we shy away from it because we think it's about making a lot of statements. It's about teaching a lot, explaining a lot, sharing a lot. I also think a really powerful way that we as people can maybe more subtly and oftentimes more effectively create opportunities for people, invitations for people to encounter our faith is just by asking questions. This is what Philip does. He says, do you understand what you were reading? And the Ethiopian official replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And based on that question, and then based on the response back, there's an opportunity created where the Ethiopian invites Philip up and into his chariot to explain to him what's happening. And so Philip gets in and sits beside him. And this is the particular passage of scripture that he was reading. And this is what it says. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And this is a passage out of the prophet Isaiah, kind of prophesying, foretelling the coming of Jesus. And without knowing that, it's a strange passage. And so this official asks Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And this question provides the opportunity for Philip to answer. And then Philip began to speak. And starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. You see, what I love about this story is, again, the subtlety of it all. This whispering, this prompting of the Holy Spirit for Philip to just go alongside someone. I think it creates this beautiful pattern for what kind of the way that we are to be witnesses in the world should look like. It gives us a model, an example to follow. It's not about beating somebody over the head with your Bible or standing at a street corner with a sandwich board and a megaphone shouting at people. I think there's other people who are willingly to take that challenge up, so I don't think that's something that we have to do. But I think the opportunity for us today is to just listen to the ways that the Holy Spirit is prompting us to go alongside people to maybe ask a question or two, and then when the opportunity is presented, to just tell the story. This is what Philip does. He just tells the story and he explains in the process of the story, the story that is still happening, the story that creates an invitation for the Ethiopian to participate in, a story uh, that is continuing in the world today. See, I think the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives is the power to extend these invitations. And it's easy to kind of think that they don't mean much, that somebody else will do it, that there's another opportunity. But Philip was in the right place at the right time, 
called by God to go to this strange location for this precise opportunity to come alongside this Ethiopian official. And what I love about this story is that that means that for each one of us, there is a place that God is calling us to get up and go. This place that maybe doesn't make a whole lot of sense, that feels strange, that feels confusing, but in the process of being obedient, we come into contact with someone or someones who we have the opportunity to maybe ask a question, to come alongside them and invite them into the story. And the way this story ends, I think... Uh, the way that many of these stories ends, with somebody's life being totally transformed and changed. Now, this is kind of instantaneous and kind of dramatic, and oftentimes in our experiences is this much slower process, but I, I don't want to miss this. So here's how the story ends. It says, as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and this official says, look, here's water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? And so he commanded the chariot to stop, and both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. I think we underestimate the potential that we have to impact people's lives. My guess is many of you are here today because somebody did something similar to this. Maybe they didn't jump in your chariot, but they came alongside of you in some way. Likely led by the Holy Spirit, prompted, urged, even if it wasn't overt and obvious, there wasn't some cloud parting and beam of light shining down, guiding them alongside of you. But oftentimes it was subtle. It was a, hey, I'm just thinking of you. Hey, I just wanted to reach out. How are you? Hey, you know, I've had this thought and I want to talk about it. These small ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives that leads to really big change. Uh, it's how I got here in the same way. I don't know if this is surprising, but it was never the plan to become a pastor. Some pastors, they're born and they're like, I want to be a pastor. That was not my story. Uh, I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer because I found that throughout my life, I was really good at talking my way out of trouble. That came with lots of experience of getting into trouble. And so when I was in college at Texas A&M, I... Uh, I was planning on going to law school. I was filling out law school applications. And then I had this really strange, really kind of dramatic experience in this church. You see, up until that point, I was still exercising uh, my ability to get into trouble as a college student. I was maxing out on my college freedom and the lack of parental oversight. Uh, and I kind of had this kind of near-death experience. I rolled my car on a highway, should not have kind of survived the wreck, and I crawled out of the wreck, was unharmed. And so that kind of prompted me to think, maybe I should go back to church. There was this whisper inside of me to get up and go somewhere that didn't make a lot of sense. There was this church right around the corner from my apartment in College Station, and it was an all-African-American Methodist church. And that was where I was felt led to go and to visit. And so I walked in that Sunday middle of my sophomore year of college and had this really profound experience. And so what happened over the course of my time at this church is God led the pastor to come alongside me, to begin to explain the story and the way that I fit into this story. And it totally changed the trajectory of my life. And so... Instead of law school, I go to seminary. And then about a year and a half in, I drop out. 
Uh, you can. You can actually be a, a seminary dropout. It's a thing. <laughs> and, and so I dropped out of seminary, and I stayed out of seminary for almost seven years. I just wasn't sure that I had heard the prompting of the Holy Spirit correctly, that God had gotten the wrong guy, that this wasn't supposed to be kind of the plan. I didn't know what the plan was, but this plan didn't make sense. This was a wilderness road that didn't seem like it was heading in in a logical, obvious direction. Until God prompted another person to come alongside me, a mentor or a person who became a mentor of mine at the time, He called me into his office one day. We were both working at Highland Park Methodist. And he basically chewed me up one side and down the other and kind of of confronted me about my lack of commitment to this whispering, this calling that I had received. And he told me in no uncertain terms that if I didn't go back to seminary and get ordained, I was wasting my life. And I listened to him. And so I'm not here today because of anything I've done. I'm here today because other people, they listened to the way that the Holy Spirit spoke to them, prompted them to come alongside people and to share a message that totally changes people's lives. And this is what we're called to do. This is what it means to be a witness. This is what it means to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. Not to stand up on a stage with a microphone and be a pastor, but to listen to the prompting, to trust that it's God, and to act upon it. So that's my hope this morning, that we would be a people who would start to pay attention to the way the Holy Spirit's at work, the way that the Holy Spirit is nudging us, encouraging us, giving us people to come alongside, and showing us opportunities to invite people into the story. That would be my prayer that we could do this, that we would start to pay attention, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the way that the Holy Spirit is constantly at work in the world. Let me pray for our time together. We'll invite Michael and the band to come back out. We'll sing one last song together. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are always with us, always alongside of us, always at work in our life. God, help us to better recognize your presence in our life, to listen to the way that your spirit is at work in our world, prompting us to get up and go to strange places that don't make sense, bringing us into contact with people who we then can come alongside and invite into your story. God, it is a story that is still unfolding today, that is still changing the world and still changing people's lives. God, encourage us and empower us to be those witnesses in the world this morning. Amen. Well, we're going to invite the ushers forward as we collect our morning's offering. Whether you give in person, in cash, or you give online, every gift that you make continues the opportunity for us to go out into the world and to be witnesses, and to invite other people, new people, into the story. So thank you for your generosity.